Welcome to Celebrate Cultivate, a podcast about celebrating the good in life and cultivating more of what you want. I'm your host, Kayleen Elise. My intention is to offer deep breaths and ideas for appreciating the magic in everyday life. I'm here to help you listen to your intuition, trust your inner wisdom, and act with inspiration. Let's get to it. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Celebrate Cultivate. I have a guest with me today, and I am so excited about our conversation. Tiffany Clark Harrison is an author, writing mentor, editor, and founder of Rochelle Writers Studio, a collective for dedicated writers of literary fiction and memoir. She leads with a feelings-first, logic-later approach to writing and life and helps writers raise their true literary voice by uncovering the root of old patterns and blocks holding their manuscript hostage. With a mix of unconventional practices and traditional writing tools, writers find the clarity and strength needed to write the draft worth fighting for. Follow Tiffany on Instagram at Rochelle Writer Studio and visit RochelleWritersStudio.com for more. Tiffany, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, I know we have talked in the DMs and connected (laughs) over the course of the last few months. And one thing I know you are so big on is that you really feel like we're here in this life and in our creative work to feel it out, not figure it out. And I just want to start with that. What does that mean to you? Oh, it can mean lots of things, but I check in with my body first, basically. Um, I know we are a society kind of steeped in logic and being able to say exactly why um, a thing is or should be, you know, two plus two always equals four. But I've noticed for me, um, I'm also an intuitive introvert and that could be a whole topic for a different day, but um, I'm an INFP. And so we lead with intuition and feeling first. And so for me, feelings first is if something makes sense logically, but in my body, like for me, a a gut reaction would be more like, um, like a retraction, like a shrinking. If I feel made small in any way by a decision, um, or just any of that shrinking back, I know that it's really not the thing for me. And when I get a more expansive feeling and that a lot of times shows up for me as like a swift intake of breath, I know that I'm on my right path. And so I do check in with my logic afterwards, but if my gut says yes, then I look at logic and I'm like, Hey, does this really make sense for us? And sometimes even if logic is like, no, no, no. I also check in with, okay, are you saying no brain because you're just trying to keep me safe and that's your job? Or is this really not something I should do? And so I might sit with it for another couple days if I do have that um, that time to sit before I make a big decision. And if 
my brain is still like, no. And then I also noticed that my gut is not in an emotional high or an emotional low and is now like, actually, that might not be for us. I know, okay, that wasn't for me. If I check in and my brain is saying yes, and my gut also not in an emotional high or emotional low is still saying yes and is still into it, I know that's the direction um, to move in for me. Hmm. Yeah. It's like you're getting everybody around the table and yeah. like reaching consensus. Yeah. Have you, have you always had that approach to life and to your work? <laughs> I wish <laughs> it would have been a lot smoother probably if I did. Um, <laughs> no, I, I called myself a former should girl. Um, I am 41 and I spent probably the first 35 or so years. Um, so most of my life doing what I thought I should be doing and leading with what felt, well, not felt leading with what I thought was more practical. Um, or again, just like what I should be doing versus Mm -hmm. leading with what I, my body really felt like it should do. And, um, yeah, that didn't, I learned a lot of lessons, um, but it never quite felt right for me. And I discovered a few years ago that, no, I really do need to feel good about a decision. And then understanding not everybody operates in a way where they have to feel it out. And I look at those people like, wow, I don't understand your life. And it's funny because they look at me like, I don't understand your life either, but we're just going to accept that we do things differently. Um, But I spent a long time trying to operate the other way and it's just not for me. So in this way, I've gotten to some of the most pivotal experiences for me by leading with feelings. How did you learn to come to this? And then how did you learn how to trust your feelings? Cause I feel like so many of us have feelings and they're like things we have to get out of us versus like trust. Yeah. So, um, not to go down like a sad road, but in 2017, um, I was in a job that was not fulfilling to me at all. Uh, The people who worked there, I was very good friends with uh, some of them. And for the most part, the people were great. Um, But the job itself was just sucking all the life out of me. Um, And things at home were a little bit stressful. Um, I have a son that was dealing with a lot of things in school. And um, needless to say, it was just, it wasn't a fun time. And like, Mm -hmm. I remember inside my body just felt like it was clenched all the time. And, Mm -hmm. um, this probably went on for about two to three years. So uh, a long time. And then, um, one day uh, after a series of some smaller things that were months in between, um, one day I was just very dizzy and nauseous and I ended up going um, being admitted to the hospital and found out that I had multiple sclerosis. And one of the first things I thought when I was, uh, I was in the hospital the first time for about a week. And one of the first things I thought when I woke up in the hospital was, oh my gosh, I haven't published my book yet, which seems 
So like, why on earth would you be thinking about that? Um, but it truly was. And it was such a, I was, yeah, I was 37 at the time. Um, and it's not a life flashing before your eyes thing. It's just, I woke up. I remember mm-hmm. with such clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, my husband and I had been going round and round a decision involving my son in school. And I remember I woke up and I said, I haven't published my book yet. I said, we're going to do make this decision with our son and we're just going to stick with it. Also, I'm going on short-term disability. And it was just like, I started just naming these things that had been sitting in me for so long and going back and forth. And it was just like, nope, enough. You could spin for the rest of your life. And you know what you want to do. You're just finding all of the reasons why it might be hard or, you know, we might be afraid, but you need to make decisions, make them, you make the best decision you can and you just keep going. But in terms of the book, um, I'd wanted that for so long, so, so long, like since I was probably about 16 or 17 and I had the majority of a book done and I just you know, I, for whatever reason, I was mm-hmm. like, no, we're not going to follow. Like I had a professor in undergrad tell me you will write a book someday. MFA programs will pay to have you. And mm-hmm. I just shrugged it off because it wasn't the practical thing. It didn't seem mm-hmm. like, okay, if you want to have a good life, you go and get a master's in fine arts. Um, that's just not the thing that's talked about. You go and get a master's in business, which I have, I had that, um, or I ended up mm-hmm. getting that. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until after being diagnosed that I finally started to lean into things that I always felt were right for me, but denied because it wasn't, it may not have been something I'd seen done before and, or it just didn't feel practical or like I should be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a life shift to have happened to you and then to wake up with so much clarity I'm sure there was just like so many things going on for you in that time. Now, looking back, do you feel like it's what everybody says happened for a reason or do you feel like it happened and now you're growing from it? Um, I'm sure somewhere it happened for a reason, but really it's more just something, the latter, like it happened and this is what I'm learning from that situation. Uh, I learned that I was in that job for five and a half years and I had no business being there that long. Um, And the Mm -hmm. funny thing is I, I had started looking for other jobs. I was a marketing director And I started looking for other marketing director positions um, in corporations. (laughs) And before I got sick and then afterwards, I was, (laughs) I kept saying, it's like God was looking at me like, girl, what are you doing? I've been telling you (laughs) to get out of this marketing director stuff and this job. And you were just like, let me go find another one somewhere else so I could be miserable somewhere else. And it's like, so redirect. 
And I'm not yeah. saying like God gave me MS or anything. That's not what I'm saying at all. But right. I needed something was going to have to shake me up. Do I and wake me up? And do I wish that could have happened without um, a diagnosis? Sure. But mm-hmm. I don't, I can, and I'm sure a lot of people can reason their way out of just about anything. So yep. perhaps without a diagnosis, I would have re- reasoned my way out of going after the things I actually wanted. So, um, yep. so yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it really is related to something happening, something shocking, surprising, maybe, you know, quote unquote, not good happening in, with our body that brings us back to our body. Right. And the wisdom that it holds. It's like once the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, then you're like, oh, oh, I have been getting messages. Yeah. (laughs) I need to receive them. (laughs) So now you're in a place where you have this feelings first philosophy and you don't just live it yourself. You teach it to others and you are a, not only a writer in your own right, but you also are a mentor for other writers. So can you share a bit about that path that led you to the point you are at now? Sure. Um, so I've, like I said, I got a master's in business. I think I was like 30 or 31 when I graduated with that. And it was funny. I had intended to go work for a corporation. And then I was like, no, I want to do my, start my own business. And in true, uh, INFP form, I decorated cakes. I refurbished furniture. I, um, what was the (laughs) thing? I did copywriting for some people. I did, oh, I I was a real estate. Like I tried all these different things. And um, the funny thing was the thing I enjoyed the most about all of them, and it didn't come to me until literally like six months ago, was making things beautiful. And Mm. beauty is such a huge thing thing for me, something I didn't fully acknowledge, like my space needs to have a certain aesthetic. And I just, I just always wanted to make so beautiful. And what I also realized too, in those businesses is I never actually liked the work itself as much as I liked writing about it. I sat for a long time. I ended up going to grad school and um, was accepted into an MFA program. So I was doing that and then, but also still wanting to get something started. And uh, one day, I don't know how it even showed up. Something about a book coach just popped into my head. I was like, a book coach? I've never even heard of that. What? Uh, I don't know what that is. And when I tell you for the next like month, everywhere I looked, and this was online, book coaching stuff kept popping up. And I was like, what is, I've literally never heard this ever. And now it's popping up everywhere. And the final straw, I was letting myself take my time, but the final straw was a very good friend of mine. Um, she texted me and said, Hey, I have somebody that I want you to meet. I know you're, um, a big vibe 
person. So like I've hung around her a few times and I think your vibe would work with her vibe. And so we should get together. Oh, by the way, she's a book coach. <laughs> I was just like, okay, that's it. So we really need yeah. to start exploring what this looks like. And so, yeah, then I just started slowly advertising, if you will, that, hey, this is something that I'm doing and building what that looks like. So then I finally started looking into what being a book coach could look like for me. And, you know, when you're starting out, you look at what everybody else is doing. And um, so I started that way. But what I found is there is so much inner work to be done when you're writing, whether you are a seasoned writer or you're writing your first book, because a lot of that stuff from childhood, from, you know, teen years, et cetera, has built up stories in our brain that we think are so separate from writing when they really aren't separate at all. It, um, it seeps into everything that you do. So um, just as an example for me, one of my big stories in my, that played in my head for a long time was that I am not black enough for years. And I was a military brat, so I went to several schools and I never spoke a certain way or dressed a certain way or whatever. I was a teenager in the nineties and moving around. A lot of times I would hear things like, you know, one time it was, you need to speak to her in white girl language or, um, and just some mm -hmm. other things that fed the story in me that I wasn't black enough. So when I started writing, uh, the book that I just finished, that's with my agent right now, I was writing that book is about, this black woman who has suffered several miscarriages and her husband wants to keep trying and she doesn't. And part of the reason she doesn't want to keep trying is because of everything that's going on in the world and not wanting to bring a black child into, into this world. Um, and I was stumbling a lot and getting stuck a lot writing it. And then one day I just, you know, I started thinking more, not even about my main character's experience, but my own experience um, with my son and also just what being Black in America is in general and realizing part of the reason I was getting stuck is because of that story of not feeling Black enough. And if I don't, if I have that story in my head that I'm not Black enough, then who am I to be writing this story about this black woman who doesn't want to bring in the, a child into the world? Mm -hmm. Who am I to discuss that at all? And it wasn't until I started looking at my own story more that I could speak more freely with my characters about what was happening in the book. So, and I find that so much uh, with clients. I have a client right now who in whatever our conversations she mentioned several times about how she's not someone who typically bets on herself. And then I also have like a questionnaire and a few forms that clients fill out and multiple times this idea of not betting on herself came up. And so I, when we talked about that, I took her through a meditation um, to one of the first times she decided 
to bet on herself and it didn't go quite well. So this client, she was homeschooled and decided she want, wanted to go to a public school or to school outside of the home. And she said the transition was terrible and it was just awful, awful, awful. And so this client right now, she just quit her job to take the next several months to write her book. And I said to her, so do you see how this idea of betting on yourself, you are betting on yourself in the physical because you're writing the book. She's in the middle of writing it. You have hired me to work with you, but mentally, emotionally, you don't actually think it's going to work out. It's going to feel terrible. And she was like, yeah, exactly. And I said, and to go back to that earliest memory of betting on yourself and it felt terrible. So now what we need to do is start showing ourselves proof that I can bet on myself and things work out well. And I said, you know, we talked about what's well, instead of coming into this experience saying, okay, at the end of this period that I've taken off work, I have to have a completely polished book and da da da. da. Instead of expecting this, putting this momentous amount of uh, monumental amount of pressure on yourself, say, I'm going to do everything I can. And at the end of this, I'm going to be so much further ahead than I was before. Hmm. Yeah. And so now starting to reshape that story. And this is what I'm saying. Like it could have absolutely nothing to do with writing your book, but all those past experiences we have, I talk a lot about when you sit down to write every person you used to be sits down to write with you, all of that stuff we're walking around with inside shows up. So that is a big, big part of my um, mentorship process is if that is what the person needs to focus on, that's what we start with. But a lot of times they'll say that they don't. And then just looking at their answers to certain things, it's like, oh, this phrase keeps jumping out or this thing keeps jumping out. Let's look at that more. And then showing them how it's affecting their writing. They're, they're just like, holy crap, I didn't even know that that was a thing. <laughs> and like, that's what we call the subconscious, everybody. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As you were sharing the story about yourself and then the story about your client, I was getting the visual of, you know, sitting down to your computer to write and like all of your past experiences, people, (laughs) stories, just kind of like coming and crowding around your desk. And I had another interview recently with Chloe Elgar. She's a psychic medium and a newly published author. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how the book writing process, so much of it happens alone, in the quiet, in the dark. And that can be really scary for some people. It also can be very comforting, but you shared a few stories about how you've navigated fear in difficult times. And I'm curious if you have any wisdom or advice for anyone listening who's traveling through one of those periods in time, how they can use their intuition or their feelings first to help guide them through that darkness. So first, just acknowledging that darkness can be scary and that's okay to feel afraid. I think a lot of times um, we carry 
shame around being afraid of something, especially, you know, looking at Instagram and whatever else everybody's doing all of the things. And sometimes it can seem like, well, they're doing it. Why can't I just stop being so scared and do it? Well, how do you know that they're not doing it afraid? So just acknowledging the fear of looking at some of the dark spaces. Um, and then once you look at them, meeting, meeting it with compassion. So one thing that I do is um, I will, my current self, and I, it's usually my inner child and then also my shadow self, they hang out a lot. And so one thing I'll do when something darker comes up for me is when I go back to that moment in my head of the first time that I felt that way, let's say the first time that I felt really embarrassed about something, let's say all three of those, my current self, my shadow self, and my child self, they will go back to that moment and sit down with that hurting version and let them say that hurting version say, everything they needed to say, but couldn't at the time. Um, and so it's meeting that hurt with compassion, not trying to fix the hurt, not trying to silence it further even, because that's why it's so troublesome and so scary is because we keep shoving it down. And so one time there was a uh, one memory for me where my hurt self was sitting on a bed. And so all three of the shadow inner child and current self went and sat with that hurting self on the bed and just let her cry and speak her mind, no filter at all. And, um, just provide comfort for her and journal about what that experience was like and what she said so that that voice was finally allowed to come out. That's how we, um, that's how we start to heal. That is one acknowledging it and letting it and letting it out. So, yeah. Yeah. And what a gift to give yourself all of the versions of yourself. And yeah, all I can think is that it's just, that's such a healing way to treat the things that come up because we, you know, we don't always know we'll like turn a corner and you'll think, oh, I handled that. (laughs) (laughs) I dealt with that. And I was in that moment and I was crying on the bed. Like, isn't that done? And it isn't always the case. And some things aren't ready to be healed until we're in a different place in our life. And we have the resources and the knowledge and the wisdom or whatever at the time. Um, to be with ourself in that moment. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Yeah. I say too, your intuition will only show you as much as your nervous system can handle. Your intuition knows you doesn't want you to break down. So like it is only to share these little pieces. And so when we, when we're like, oh my gosh, but I healed that already. It's like, but here's another layer. You couldn't, you weren't in a place for that other layer before here's the next layer. And instead of berating ourselves, like, oh, I guess I'm not healed. I guess I can't be, you know, da, 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 da. Instead be like, look at this growth because mm-hmm. now I see this other layer. That means I've grown. Um, yes. 
Yes, I totally agree. There's a process that I follow in my intuitive coaching called releasing emotional bean bags, which are like the pockets of the things that we carry around with us. Mm-hmm. And we, before we begin that process, we acknowledge that you're only going to see and experience and feel what is safe and ready to be released in this mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. So there is no, you know, there is no, you may feel fear, but also carrying with you that what is coming up is safe and ready to release is such a comfort to the mind. Cause it's like right. that stop gap of like, I'm only going to, it's only going to be what I can do right now. And so you do what you can with what you have, and then you move forward. Yeah. Yep. Well, I have three more rapid fire questions for you. First is what are you celebrating these days? Oh goodness. I am celebrating. Well, I have two kids in school and this is the last week of school. My kids are 14 and my son's almost 12. And so we have some mini trips coming up and uh this summer everybody will be vaccinated so uh, we're excited uh, because i have ms i'm high risk so we have all been super stuck in the house for going on a year and a half so we're excited celebrating being able to go out again Yes. Oh, I can only imagine those ages, especially if everybody's just ready to breathe some fresh air. (laughs) He's the only extrovert and he's like, oh my gosh, get me out of the house with these people. (laughs) All they do is read books and write in their journals. (laughs) Oh man. So what are you cultivating? Patience. That is truly a long-term one, but I am not a patient person. And um, one thing about being a mother and a mother to a son, a very busy son, and also being an entrepreneur, it has really showed me that you just need to trust and slow down or slow down and trust rather. Um, and, and just keep going. Not everything is going to shift right away. So, um, yeah, cultivating patience for me. That's a good one. Is there anything you're creating that you're especially excited about? My third book, um, I just started it Well, technically I started it last year, but I'm allowing that to be a super, super slow process, which is funny because my process is pretty slow as it is, but um, it's turning out to be most, well, it's turning, it's taken a turn. I've been watching um, Killing Eve on Hulu Mm -hmm. and fantastic show if anybody wants to watch that. Um, So good. (laughs) Yeah. And it gave me an idea for my book, which was kind of there already, but I just didn't totally see it. And I like the direction that it's, that it's heading in. So that's what I'm creating there. Um, On the business side, I'm juggling right now. I have 
yeah, three separate ideas. I just started opening a mentorship program to some past clients and I'll be promoting that within the next few weeks. Um, but then going between two other potential programs, one, which is a dealing with the feelings, um, and that's going to be called the root. So essentially getting to the root of what's holding you and your manuscript hostage. And the other is strictly a feedback circle, but I don't want to launch everything like all at the same time and overwhelm people. So sitting with (laughs) feelings about, okay, what really feels like the best way to go right now. So those are the things I'm working on. Yes. Oh, good. Well, this episode will air in July, mid-July. So I will be sure to have all the details on what has unfolded and what you. you have available so people can connect. This has been such a wonderful conversation, Tiffany. So thank you for being here and sharing your magic with all of us. Thank you again. And thank you for being you. You're such a light. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, for anyone listening who wants to connect and check out your work, where can they find you and follow your journey? Uh, You can find me on Instagram and that's Rochelle. R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E, Writer Studio, um, or my website, RochelleWriterStudio.com. Amazing. Well, thanks again for being here. And friends, thank you for listening. If something Tiffany shared here today resonated with you, please take a screenshot of your podcast app and share it on social media with a little message and be sure to tag us both so we can connect with you. I'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you then. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Visit KayleenElise.com for links and notes from today's episode. Connect with me on Instagram. I'm at KayleenElise. Please share this pod with anyone who could use a little extra magic in their everyday life. Stay tuned for the next episode. I'll talk to you then.